Welcome to episode 18 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This show was recorded Monday, June 4th, 2007. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are the Spokesmen. Well, welcome to episode 18 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. We have a mostly British group with us today. Besides myself, I'm David Bernstein from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. We've got Carlton Reed from QuickRelease.tv and Bike Biz. Hi, Carlton. Hi there. How you doing this morning or afternoon? I'm doing fine. It's a nice day for a change because it's been raining. But well, uh, it, right now it's Cal- Californian weather almost. <laughs> Perfect. California in the north of England. And also with us mm-hmm. from, from Great Britain is Joe Beer. Joe, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, David. And again, it's uh, beautiful and sunny here in uh, North Devon, down in the southwest of England. You see, here in in Los Angeles, we're having what we call June gloom, which is every morning because uh, the the ocean still hasn't warmed up, and because the air is is still is is now getting warmer, uh, we get this awful fog like substance which we call the marine layer which comes in every morning and leaves at about oh 12 one in the afternoon and then comes back at about six or seven uh, in the evening so uh, i guess we're having a bit of english weather here this morning so joe, so joe do me a favor for for those people who don't know who joe beer is um just give us a quick outline of you know if you look at your website all the, the different things that you do well i guess it all stems back to uh as a as a child just riding a bike and i listened to all of your uh how did you get into cycling's last episode and i thought wow hey i got into cycling riding a a bike for a paper round that went into cycle racing triathlons sports science degree then on to coaching and now i'm in a position where i coach athletes i write for a magazine called cycling plus which i know carlton also writes for and um, along the way, I've been lucky to help athletes uh, at Graham O'Brien, one example, and many other athletes just know a bit more about training, nutrition, equipment. So it's a, I guess it's a, it's a dream come true in terms of a job that just started off as a hobby. And uh, you, you do a podcast as well. Tell us about that. Yes, um, it's about a year now, and it was just one of the ways really to get out to uh, a slightly wider audience to bring things in that are sort of very hot potatoes, research, uh, insider news to do with perhaps equipment or findings from universities that don't actually get published. And it was just, hey, it's a different thing to magazines, and I thought I would uh, try and uh, a year later, you put uh, cycling into iTunes, and it's at the top of the bunch. So, got to be doing something right. But um, of, of course, it's it's not of the uh, of the quality of the Fredcast. <laughs> oh, stop it! Uh, <laughs> so, tell everybody where they can find not only your podcast but also your website. Uh, JBST, so that's Juliet Bravo Sierra Tango. There, I have various links. Also, uh, I do another podcast called Fuel Pod. And we've just done an interview with Nicole Cook. We're about to do one with Roger Hammond, uh, along the way, various athletes. So if you go to jbst.com or go into iTunes, just uh, put my name in or jbst and you'll find me there. 
Well, now, surely you're, you're you're successful because of your 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 second name. People are just putting beer into <laughs> iTunes. You, well, you're not getting any athletes. It's all people who are who are drunk finding your well, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing when I was coaching um, a, a professional triathlete back in 1995 and I went and stayed uh, in Marin for a whole year and was coaching this athlete and nobody would believe that my name was Joe Beer. They thought it was made up. <laughs> it's the best name ever. I love that name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, you know, you can almost hear Homer Simpson. Mmm, beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Joe, you know, you mentioned another name which is sort of famous, uh, at least becoming more famous even here in the United States, you mentioned Graham Obrey. Tell me a little bit about the work that you've done with Graham. And, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Graham, why don't you also tell us who Graham is and maybe a little bit about his movie? Yeah, well, back in 1996, 1997, Graham and I just linked up through Connections in Magazines, started working together. Uh, that year he came back and he clocked uh, an astonishing 1836 for 10 miles which at that time was not quite the competition record but was very very close a day later he won the national championship and um we just sort of you know we, we hooked up we got on we both had um you know a similar passion for cycling and then two years later when graham um was brought uh if you like, into the whole talking about drugs in sport because he'd um, had this little uh, tete-a-tete with Le Groupement when um, he'd been asked to uh, put money into uh, a, a supposed fund. He also got me to go onto television and also talk about what I suspected and I went onto the BBC and, and had an interview about how much did I think drugs was in sport. Uh, along the way, we've we've just kept in touch, and back in March this year, Graham uh, just had a uh, had a, a very interesting conversation. Uh, sat in a car in a car park, talking about his wanting to go for the hour record. Uh, what would have, what would have been this summer, but uh, sadly, other things have got in the way. But he's he's just a great guy, and I think the film really does show some of the. Uh, if you like, some of the quality and some of the very individualness that Graham has. And he is one of the most followed cyclists, certainly within the cycle fraternity. If he does anything, everybody's watching. Now, the the film is open in, as they say, select cities here in the United States. I've seen it. Uh, we were talking before we started recording that when I saw it, it was me and one other guy in the theater, and this was only days after it opened here in the U.S. It's it's opening the U.K. soon. How do you think it will be received? What do you think, Carlton? Well, they've got the the Tour de France coming up, so they've got they've got a hook for it, which will be a huge help. I mean, if if it launched in the U.S. at the same time as Spider Man comes out, well, of course it's gonna it's gonna suffer. So it's launching here when when there's this big old race coming to town so they can they can uh, punch that yeah yeah and i think also he's he is a known name his uh exploits people have heard about the bike being made partly by uh washing machine parts they've heard when the news broke that um he'd uh, attempted suicide that was also um fairly visible though i guess any of us that's involved within 
cycling we always see the cycling stuff more than the average person but many people have have said that they know of him and i i guess they may see it perhaps not at the cinema perhaps later on they'll they'll watch it on dvd but i hope it does do well because it opens up many interesting um i guess interesting areas not just about cycle racing about the whole area of um of bullying the whole area of sport and how the uh the blazers can try and make rules to stop certain people but help other people so i think there's some very interesting things the more you watch it the more you start seeing that there's some very um good detail uh built into the film which if you know what you're looking for you can find lots of things to talk about yeah, no doubt. Now, now you, you said that you thought that he was, or he told you that he was thinking about going for the hour record again. Um, obviously, with the film coming out, and he's probably on PR tours, as as happens when things like this occur. Do you think that he will be going for the hour record again soon? Uh, if so, how soon? And what do you think his chances are? Um, he's he's actually said on the podcast that i've uh, recorded and hope to put out very soon maybe middle of june that he'll never say never but as the pressure got more and more and he was being dragged in various directions he finds it very difficult to um really focus to the level that he'd need to his chance is well if anybody can uh do an hour record attempt twice within 12 hours and actually take a record off of uh, a superb athlete like Francesco Moser, I don't think you can ever say that that Graham is somebody that that can't do something. I think that's what he thrives on, is if somebody says he can't do it, he'll try. And he's still been doing some quite uh, quick times. He clocked recently a, a 19.40 for 10 miles on not a fast course in Scotland. He's... Uh, getting good data from his turbo trainer that he was um, training on. But I think he probably just found that it was um, he was going in too many directions. I think if there's anybody that could do it, he's an expert at absolutely annihilating himself uh, on a bike to see him time trial. You always know that um, people will, will probably be uh, stood by the side of the road wincing because they cannot believe how hard he can push himself. I mean, he can literally push himself, as he says, close to death. I mean, he really has a, a talent that few other people have got. His his actual chances? Well, somebody is yet to specifically go for that record. And when we were looking into um, how fast you'd have to go, what equipment he'd need to use... Uh, we spotted a little-known fact that uh, Suzenka, who currently holds the record at uh, 49.7, he actually used a standard 32-spoke front wheel. At the speed that they're going, that's worth 500 metres. Um, they even had cellophane over his shoes instead of proper overshoes. So somebody is yet to sit down and properly put everything into an attempt uh, I think he, he he may have a go. He, he was certainly looking to try and beat uh, Francesco Moses' uh, attempt that he did at 42, which was just shy of the uh, of the world record at the time. But I'd never say never with Graham. Now, now tell me a little bit about his comments about drugs and sport, because unfortunately it's it's been impossible in every spokesman. We've wanted to not talk about doping, but, but with what's going on in the news... It's it's 
it's impossible. So before we talk about the exact news, what are Graham's thoughts about doping in, in sport? He goes, he goes into qu- quite a lot of, um, of detail in what he thinks um, about, uh, you know, the cheats that have doped. And this, this stems back, as I said, to the uh, time that in 1999, when the Festina affair broke, he could actually say, look, guys, can't you see I was talking about this when I was uh, asked to go into a European team and they asked me to put money into a certain fund. And... Back then, everybody thought that Graham was just, you know, he, he couldn't hack the pace and therefore he was making an excuse. He's he's actually said that when he did the hour record, uh, other pro riders were asking him, um, so, so what did you use then? And and he said, well, nothing. And they just looked at him and, and, as he said, gave him a very sort of amateur look as if, what are you doing then? You know, if you're not taking anything, you know, doing this hour record, you're just, you're an amateur. And I think he's got very strong views that he totally believes that if he's got two arms and two legs, he can do as well as anybody because he's got the the ability to drive himself very hard. And I think, and he does go go into uh, greater detail about he'd certainly put his his blood uh, on file for it to be tested in future years if he did go for the hour record. Because he really feels strongly that um, you know that uh, it can be done naturally. He did it naturally. He did it with superior positions, and I think as the film illustrates, the uh, uh, UCI or whatever they were called in the film, I can't remember that strange the uh, World Cycling World Federation. Cycling Federation. Yeah. World <laughs> Cycling Federation. You know, they're 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 meanwhile chasing Graham for inventing uh, one and then a second position that uh, they didn't like. And meanwhile, we would have had uh, um, riders that were clearly using banned substances that were getting underneath the radar and in some cases weren't even, you know, weren't even worried about. So I think, you know, maybe he's he's finally um, going to get the recognition that, hey, this guy was natural. This guy did superb rides. And you never know whether he'll do the same uh, in the future. But he's got very strong views about it because I think he feels as though um, it's it's a bad image to give um, kids. They just won't get on a bike because they just think if you're going to be good, you have to uh, you have to use drugs. Well, it certainly sounds like Graham and I are kindred spirits in that in that regard because this is something that I've been railing against uh, for a couple of years. It just there are rules. And you either follow the rules or you're a cheater. And that's just the way that it is. And it it kills me to see, as an example, just sort of as a segue, that somebody wins the Tour de France um, by doping, denies it for years and years and years. And then finally, when his team says, yeah, or a large part of his team says, yeah, we did it. He finally comes out and says, yeah, I, I, I used... Uh, uh, EPO or whatever I used when I was when I was in the Tour de France. That's how I want it. My jersey's in a cardboard box. If you want to come get it, do so. Uh, the entire sport of cycling is is now suspect. Even if a guy, let's take a, sort of the Graham Obrey example. Graham wins. He wins clean. He wins by coming up with superior positioning, with uh, a better bike that he built from his, his wife's washing machine, as you noted. And then. He, he people look at him and they say, well, what did you use? Well, it's sort of like, let, let's assume, as seems, you know, there's no reason not to believe this, Lance Armstrong won all his tours to France clean, 
But because of everything that's going on in professional cycling, with all of the doping scandals and the rumors and, and the admissions, everyone just assumes he did it. Well, for somebody who raced clean, that's got to kill you because you worked hard, you worked on your body, you made sure that you were conditioned well to win the races, uh, but then you're guilty by association. And so professional cycling, uh, I said it a few, probably about two weeks ago, I'm just done with professional cyclists. I'm so tired of what's going on in the sport. And this doesn't really dominate the news here in the United States. W what are we hearing over in Europe? I and mean, what's with, with the Tour de France about to begin in England, Carlton, what are people having to say about the Bjarne Reese admissions? It didn't have a huge impact. Hmm here it, it, no cycling news has a huge impact here so that's that's almost a good thing in that a lot of this stuff just doesn't really resonate with the public it, it's just a, a slight folk memory perhaps but it, it the reese thing the basso thing none of these have, have been really major stories none of them have been on the, the the television news for instance it's very rare to get cycling on there <clears throat> even when it's bad news it, it, it's hard to get on um, and all the indications are that the, the, the Tour de France in London is just this super exciting event and doping is not going to get a mention. The, the one fly in the ointment was possibly going to be if the Floyd Landis hearings, if, if the deliberations come out, say, just before uh, the, the London event, or well, maybe there'll be a, a huge brouhaha then. But if it doesn't, and it's more likely to be in the middle of the Tour de France, then that affects... Uh, nothing for the UK. We'll just have this fantastic event in London and it'll be a, a sporting spectacle. I don't think a great deal of um, drug stuff will be brought up by the media. It, it, it's, it's not necessary, really. That's, uh, I, I don't know, for me, that's, it's unfortunate. Uh, I was surprised, actually, to find a, an opinion page article about the Bjarne Reese admissions in the Los Angeles Times, of all places. Um, typically, the Los Angeles Times ignores cycling. I mean, they haven't ignored the, the Floyd Landis affair. Mm. How could they? Uh, Floyd lives in Southern California. The, the, the case was being adjudicated here in Southern California. Uh, so they, they haven't ignored that. But usually everything else when it comes to professional cycling is completely ignored. There was nothing about the Giro in the paper um, or the fact that, that you know, that the, this three-week race was going on and nothing, zip, zero. But there was an opinion page piece about... Um, about the Bjorn Reese admissions. And, and by the way, one of the things that was mentioned there, and I've seen it mentioned other, in other places, and I, I'd like to get both of your opinions on this, the idea of maybe doing a, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission for cycling, where we, we give these people immunity for all of their past wrongdoings, simply to come forward, testify, let people know what they had done in the past, and then come up with ways of whether it's DNA testing or, or storing their blood for the future testing, um, ways to, to catch them in the future, and then uh, a zero-tolerance policy. If you're caught, you're out of professional cycling. Joe, I wonder what, what you would think about that and what uh, maybe even what Graham would, might think about that. I guess all of these admissions, some of which uh, almost became um, well-known uh, facts for most uh, should we say amateur cyclists or people that I've talked about? There have been many names that have already been uh, implicated without a positive test. And I still feel that um, you have to say 
innocent until proven guilty. That's the first one. Otherwise, you just say that every world record that is ever done has to be done by somebody using drugs, whatever the sport. And we know that not to be the case. However, there are lots of riders that clearly have been and maybe there is still partly a culture for many of them to still be using some kind of performance enhancement. If there's a clean slate and if we get uh, riders past, uh, shall we say, legends to say, hey, it was what we did then, but we need to start afresh, I think it would be, um, from from the current day riders, it would be a great starting position to actually not feel pressured to have to use the substances that almost became part of having to be a pro rider and i know i don't i don't like to think that every rider um uses something but at the same time the more names that get connected with drugs the more that you do realize that there has been a very deep and organized culture of not only drug taking, but also getting around the tests. And that leads back to this whole idea that the testers have to be a lot better. They have to be smarter and they have to give some kind of reward to riders that do come clean or they also have to work with the people that make these drugs to put in specific markers so that if any substance is used there would be a marker within the blood or within the urine which would make it a hell of a lot easier to track down who was taking what Mm -hmm. that's a good idea carlton you know in some ways i think both of us you and i are, are, are guilty of having been what's the word disdainful toward wada but perhaps toward uh um even toward the UCI in some ways when it came to um, their pursuit of athletes and their, mm. and, and almost a witch hunt in some ways. And, and so I think that's the way you and I probably characterized it sometimes. Mm. But with this Bjarne Reese admission with the entire telecom, now T-Mobile team, or you know, now telecom became the T-Mobile team, with, with all of their admissions, I've almost taken a, turned a corner and said, all right, if you look at the 96 tour, and we say, all right, Bjarne Arise won, but he won dirty. And then second place won dirty. And third place, you go down the line and you say, who's going to be the winner of the 96 Tour de France? And that was... It's Chris Boardman. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you go down, it's actually Chris, the last clean rider on that list, number 56, Chris Boardman. There you go. Well, A Brit it, wins the Tour de France. Exactly. So that's, that's fantastic, right? But come on, that was 1996. It was 11 years ago. You can't tell me that between then and now, we didn't have a lot of cyclists riding dirty in the Tour de France. And so I'm almost saying, you know, maybe water was, maybe water was right. Maybe they're right to go out on this witch hunt because they see professional sport, they see cycling being sullied by all of these people who are riding dirty. I mean, has this changed your opinion at all? But there's a philosophical point to be made here almost in that if everybody on that list was doping... They almost weren't cheating. They're all equal. If they're all on this stuff, they, nobody is getting an actual benefit. Yeah. They're all going to be just as dirty as each other, so they're all equal. So we can't actually take anybody's jersey away from them because, well, if that guy was uh, dirty and he was and he was and he was and he was, then they're all exactly the same. And it, 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 it takes away what cheating is meant to do because if you're all on it, it's not cheating. Well, and, and yeah, how... Yeah, and I was going to say, and, and how about often the, should we call it the 
the hypocrisy of the uh, the people watching is a rider actually breaking uh, the code of ethics within their own fraternity? Probably not, because they probably learn from other riders and they see it as being, um, you know, you're either, you either are or you aren't. And if you're not, you don't expect to win. However, it's, it's very easy for people from the outside to see it that they're cheating. What they're doing is they're doing the job. And I'm not going to I'm not going to say that that's the right thing to do, but the same people that say, oh, you know, Reese is a cheat and this, that, and the other, for their job, will most likely, um, and this is a, a particular moot point of mine, they will probably get in a car and quite easily drive way over the speed limit, and if they're stopped and they're caught, they will justify it by saying, I was doing it for my job. And the riders, when they're taking those substances and when many of them, you know, nobody suddenly is going to say in the peloton, what, somebody was taking drugs, were they? I mean, it's a known thing. People either choose to do it or they don't, but they're not, they're certainly not, um, uh, should we say, wide-eyed and, and unknowingly uh, saying, oh, I don't really know this is going on. But I think it's easy for people from the outside not to realize the pressures that the riders are increasingly uh, coming under. And now with teams such as T-Mobile actually taking the pressure off by reducing the amounts of money that they put towards uh, bonuses and instead giving them higher salaries, it reduces the need for the riders to actually have to be the very, very, very best. Yeah, but of course in the end, uh, T-Mobile is giving the money to sponsor the team because they want exposure and they're only going to get exposure if they have winners, right? Yeah. But at the same time, what, what they've got now is previous winners that are showing, uh, if you like a tainted image. Mm -hmm. And I think if you do say that there's strong enough testing, there's enough ethics within the Peloton to take drugs in cycling down to an absolute minimum where the odd person is found to take something either rightly or wrongly they took it the court at the moment there seems to be a two-tier system people that are getting away with it um, and people that aren't but the sponsors are increasingly looking for clean riders and clean riders can still win you do not have to be uh, necessarily on the juice to be at the top level and i think what has happened <clears throat> is that um, some of the riders have needed an extra 1% and they've looked at a particular substance as the way ahead, whereas now we're getting SRM systems, we're getting very controlled testing of the athlete's fitness, specific races for specific riders. I think it's possible for riders to win clean, and the more riders that do that, the better that it'll be as a, um, as a showing to the rest of the peloton and to young riders coming through that it is possible what 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 is and isn't clean that's i think it's just a, such a, a gray area what you know what's on wada's prohibited list can change from year to year so one year caffeine is on the list the next year it's not so society says if we're going to call wada a society we're going to say uh, this substance is is bad now two years time it might be good so start banning people for taking a substance. Well, maybe that substance actually becomes uh, bad or good in the future. And it comes down to how you actually view the juice. Which, which, what is the juice? Because uh, sometimes that, that 
juice isn't actually performance enhancing, but the athlete will still get busted for it. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the system seems to be a bit cronky. The, yeah, at yeah. catching people, what, what, are they, what are they actual actually catching people for? If it's not actually for performance enhancing drugs, uh, which in some cases it hasn't been, it, it, the levels that have been um, found in people's systems who've then been subsequently banned have, are not actually performance enhancing, then why ban that athlete? So as well as all cyclists should become clean and in inverted commas, then I think we also want to clean up the whole drug testing uh, regime and, 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 and just be aware that it's not as black and white. That person cheated, that person didn't. Is creatine, for instance, is that performance enhancing? Yes. Is maltodextrin, is that performance enhancing? Yes. Or why aren't these products banned? Is wind tunnel testing performance enhancing? Yes. uh, Riding at altitude? Yes. Performance enhancing. It's a grey area. And having this black and white system, is, which is so strict, isn't always fair. But I, I think, think, uh, yeah. I think yeah. you'd agree, though, that, that, that the solution is not to simply say uh, we won't test. And, uh, the, I think you'll agree that the solution is not to say, oh, we'll let you dope. Right, Carlton? Oh, some people do uh, advocate that. But, mm-hmm. of course, then that comes down to health issues, that the riders are going to kill themselves like all those, I think it's the, the, the Danish youth riders uh, from a few years back who were just waking up or not waking up in fact in their sleep and 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 dying so it's it's some products clearly are are bad for athletes and and we've got to monitor that so now of course i don't uh encourage anybody to to use any drugs whatsoever but it just depends what is a drug to you and me it it changes year to year Mm -hmm. but i think one one of the um specific areas that needs to be clear is that once something is defined as a drug or not necessarily a drug but an an illegal practice then clearly that has gone from being white to black uh maltodextrin improves performance it's not harmful therefore it's okay creatine may improve enhance the performance of a cyclist that's um, a gray area in terms of whether it does but because there's no specific health uh decrement to using it then it's okay and i think there has to be a pulling together of this idea that you don't ban things that enhance performance you ban things that are harmful to the riders and therefore you're protecting the riders you're not saying we need to stop performance improvements one of the issues that's been um touted for quite a while is that if you maximize the aerodynamics the nutrition and the training specificity, you can actually get benefits that are greater than the benefits mm. that riders get from drugs. Mm. So to, to enhance performance is not what we're looking to try and get rid of. What we're looking to try and get rid of is dangerous practices that clearly, clearly putting um, a, a syringe into your uh, backside and, in, and uh, putting a, a substance that's going to push your red blood cell count up clearly is not a natural process that should be um, even thought of as close to being okay. It clearly is a banned and dangerous um, practice. Therefore, that is clearly something that should be uh, jumped upon but the testing is still very dubious the whole um 
Landis affair shows that even the testers aren't really on the same page all the time. And whilst there are loopholes, some riders will seek to use those loopholes. And I think it all has to be cleaned up and made a sport that people, especially young people, look towards as something that they'd like to do. And I think that that's the one thing that really kills me is that young people now are looking at cycling and saying, well, it's... It's dirty. Uh, um, these are people yeah. that I can't necessarily look up to. Or if these are people, if these are junior cyclists who are, who are looking to really make the, the big time, they're saying, well, the only way that I'm going to be able to get to the Pro Tour, to the Tour de France, to some of these major races is by doping. And that, I think, is the unfortunate part of all of this. I, th- I think hopefully now it's now almost history. I hope hmm. it's history because the, the, it has been so, so damaging. Uh, for all of us, for in, in cycling and out of cycling, all these, these, these latest revelations, and I'm sure there's more to come out, but at the same time, it's also very cleansing. So we, hopefully we can move on from this, and cycling, as, as the UCI is, is hoping, will become the cleanest sport. And in order to get to become that, the cleanest sport, you've got to get rid of all of your, your, your history. And the, the truth and reconciliation uh, references, I, I think, is good. So mm-hmm. maybe the UCI shouldn't be coming down on hard on all these people who are admitting it. Just like in South Africa, you didn't come down on hard on the, the perpetrators of apartheid. Uh, you hard to forgive, but that's what you need to do. You need to make this part of history and work towards the future. So all these clean... Um, programs uh, could make cycling the cleanest sport out there and what never gets mentioned as we all know and we've mentioned many times on this this show is football american football mm. basketball all of these different sports are riddled with drugs but they never get hammered it just seems to be cycling is the only one that stands up and says we're dirty but at least we're now we're, we're now cleaning it up so i think we we have a good future but it depends how many sponsors we lose in the meantime so you were you were referring to uh, the op-ed stuff in in los angeles times and there's people like the top sports writers like phil hirsch mm. who've all said you know that they're, they're they're done with cycling and and that impacts on 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 the boardroom and people then don't sponsor cycling so we've, we've probably got a five perhaps even ten year window where we will lose big time sponsors to cycling but we'll come out the other side and we will be a much cleaner sport, much cleaner than any other sport. Yeah, you know, the fans in, here in the United States, when it comes, you're absolutely right, when it comes to basketball, baseball, football, I can't say that every one of them doesn't care, but it seems like the majority of the fans just don't care. When Hank Aaron's home run record gets smashed this year, it will be by somebody who is widely perceived to be a doper. And mm. there will be no asterisk next to his name. It will simply be that he's the number one home run hitter. And for me, at least, I, I have a problem with that. Yeah, I guess you could look at the totals of people that lined the route of the Tour de France. It doesn't drop off every time um, an ex-winner or somebody in the peloton gets caught. I think the actual uh, grassroots person that, that watches cycling often they've become used to it just being part of what goes on. And I think if we have a clean slate and we have perhaps perhaps a drop in performance times for a short while, eventually people will start believing in the riders and not 
sometimes just suspecting just saying oh that was a bit of a good time or wow didn't they go very well today we have to we have to assume that people aren't using until they're caught but that will only really become true once we have this this clean slate and i think that uh, colton's quite right we we've got a good five year to ten year window before people start looking at the elites at the top of their game at that time and saying that hey they came through the ranks and they're known to be as clean as a whistle and hey isn't it great that somebody can do that and not be uh, be using drugs yeah and and so I just want to switch gears here real quickly because I know Joe that you have to go pretty soon. But I just want to know uh, how was it perceived this week in the UK when it was learned that a British team British team was going to be racing in the Tour de France? Carlton, it's not, not strictly speaking, a British team. It's a, the Barlow World is a, a South African team. Uh, but they have a management based in the UK. So when the the press release was pumped out by uh, ASO the organisers of the Tour de France, it actually came out as a, as a UK team. It's a, if anything, it's almost an Italian team, Italian manager, Italian soigneurs, um, Italian uh, mechanics, Italian riders, uh, a, a, a South African in there, in the Robbie Hunter and stuff. So I, I don't even think it had any publicity in the UK that I saw. So, so the, but, there, but it's funny because you're right, in the press release it makes it sound like it's a UK team. Yeah, well, ASO just didn't, because they... Uh, presumably just go from where the team is registered and it, it, it must be registered in the UK but it, Barlow World is a, is, a, is a South African IT company so oh, okay. it's, it's a South African team so it's huge in South Africa so if you look on, <laughs> on Google News yeah it's massive news across there but it, it's, it's not really a UK team What about and, and this was something that I found on BikePiz and, and it, you know I was doing some cleaning of some files this weekend and, and I came across uh, literally, my original paperwork from the state of California, the very first time that Full Speed Ahead, uh, I, I, uh, I registered the corporation here in California. And to find that Cane Creek has pulled their licensing of a headsets, uh, I couldn't believe it. Uh, if, if you think about all the 2008 bikes that have probably been specced with FSA headsets, uh, it, this, is, this is a huge deal. Do you ha- have you heard any um, inside industry gossip about exactly what happened between Tianxin and uh, and Cane Creek? Why on earth did this happen? Well, Tianxin actually make all these things, don't yeah, they? So they they're, they're still making them for Cane Creek. It was just this falling out with FSA. Um, the announcement was very, very um, bullshy. It was like, we've done this and they've done that, and it, it didn't really pull any punches. But any more than that, I haven't had any of the blood on the walls yet. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not, doesn't look too nice, does it? No. And you know, you, you read the, the line from the press release that says how it's going to affect their profitability. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, when we started the company, it was headsets and bottom brackets and that was it. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, we were really banking on that, on that threadless headset. And so to now mm-hmm. have their, their licensing pulled, that is a big deal. Yeah, it, it doesn't look too pleasant. There's something really funny gone on there. But I've just done the latest story, which is a positive thing for FSA. They're on the DeLuca, Cannondale. Uh, 21 bikes have been made for the, the Giro d'Italia special edition. So FSA is on there somewhere. There you go. So at least they're getting the, the positive publicity. I like to hear that. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Hey, Joe, I know that you need to go. And I, I just wanted to say thank you very much for, for joining us on The Spokesman. It's been a pleasure. You are welcome 
any time uh, you'd like to be here on The Spokesman. It's it's just been great. And uh, do me a favor, wish wish Graham all my best uh, and, of course, success with the movie. And if he does go for the hour record, uh, uh, success there as well. But before you go, uh, wondering, and I'm going to put you on the spot. I don't know if you've listened to the show before. Uh, I've got a tip. Uh, I've got excellent. a tip. Don't you worry. <laughs> don't you worry. Please give us your uh, tip, and then, of course, let us know where people can find you once again. Okay. Um, I think my tip, and this is something that people think is is rather, uh, it's a bit sort of, uh, uh, it's a bit strange to do, but I think what you need to do is you need to measure all of the measurements on your bike. Uh, make a note of them, even get pictures of your bike. There's a great, and I'll send you the link, there's a great uh, positional PDF that uh, is on cyclingnews.com that Park Tools actually put out. And it's great so you can actually write down the measurements of your bike. One day you'll need that. Perhaps you 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 have a smash and you need to set up another bike or somebody, um, somebody uh, pinches your bike and takes it away and you never see it again. When you've got measurements of, of how you're sat on a bike and, and pictures, it's so much easier to do things on other bikes. And it's probably more for the performance orientated person, but just noting down a frame number or the specific parts on a bike one day you'll need that information and it, it takes some time but hey it can be a lifesaver when you need to know what your frame number is and and whether the insurance company are going to pay up and so forth so it's a bit of a long-winded tip but measure note it down and take some pictures that's a great great tip i like that a lot and and uh, do me a favor tell everybody where they can find you once more okay so it's jbst.com which is Juliet Bravo Sierra Tango if you get that also through there you can find my podcast which is up at iTunes and also at Zencast and there's another podcast that I'm part of which is called Fuel Pod and in about two or three weeks time there'll be an interview with Nicole Cook going up on that podcast that's great. Joe, thanks again for joining us. I'm going to let you go because I know that you do need to go. And as I said earlier, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks, David. And uh, thanks, Carlton. Very nice speaking to you both. Great. Have a great afternoon. And Carlton, you're now on the spot. You know, all, you've <laughs> um, told all the listeners to send you in tips. Hopefully they did. Or my course, friend, if, Simon, if, did. Oh, he, he did. did. Excellent. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. He listened to the show and uh, he emailed me a few days later. And here it is. Uh, if you are a pro tour rider and thinking about uh, the idea of doping, make sure your pet has a nondescript name like Fido or Rex, or even better, call your doggy the name of one of your important rivals. So, yes, I agree. Valverde is an unusual name for a cat. There you go. I think. <laughs> Would you like to elaborate on that for people who have no idea what you're talking about? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's that's good. Unusual pet names is what will go in the show notes. <laughs> well, that's crazy. I mean, why, why would that doctor put such obvious, you know, names on? It's like, oh, come on. You know, it's it's be a bit scientific here, doc. It's it's almost like if you're a hotel heiress and you you know and you have a password on your cell phone, don't let it be the name <laughs> of your dog. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I have a sort of a serious tip, and and this one I, I mentioned it on the Fredcast, and. Um, it was something that, that I'd been told and told and told by fitness people before, and uh, I just never believed it until I actually put it into practice. And, you know, for those of you who are going out and you're training hard nonstop, um, recovery 
actually works. And it's something that you, you really need to consider because when I did that ride with my daughter across California, you know, normally I'm out there high cadence, high performance when I'm on my bike and, and just really going for it all the time. And then when I spent a week on my mountain bike at a relatively low cadence and slow speed, the following week when I got back on my bike, I was stronger than I'd ever been. I was faster than I'd ever been. And so it became really clear to me that recovery works. So uh, make sure that you're building that into your training schedules, that after uh, a number of weeks of hard training, that you're taking a week of recovery riding and uh, not training hard because it really does work and it really does help. And in the end, it will make you stronger and a better cyclist. So that's my tip for the week. I'll, I'll, yeah, go ahead. I'll have, to ask, I'll have to ask Joe this, but you know, my recovery periods tend to be about four or five months. Do you reckon that that's okay? <laughs> Will you come back stronger after you know not being on your bike for that long? I'll let you know because I've sort of had one of those the last few months, so I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, Carlton, great as always having you on the show. You're one of the stalwarts. You've, I think you've been on every single show we've had. Um, I know they've heard it a million times, but let everybody know where they can find you. Sure. It's Carlton Reed, R-E-I-D, at Mac.com is my email address for those tips. And uh, it's uh, quickrelease.tv for uh, the website, the, the, the kind of blog thing with all the, the YouTube videos and stuff. And then it's bikebiz.com for trade news. And by the way, you've been getting uh, quite a bit of, of coverage in Road Bike Rider over the past couple of weeks uh, in, in their newsletter. They, they seem to, to really like promoting what you do. Uh, I like Ed. Ed's the editor. Yeah. Uh, Ed Pavelka. And, and they, those guys do enormous amounts of mileage. I get their emails on a, on a Thursday and I, I kind of I live vicariously through their mileage. It's just I would love to have that much time mm. to do that much mileage. They've got such a great life. They do this, uh, this email newsletter. Thursday is their, their peak day. It goes out to something like 56,000 roadies across the world, mostly U.S., yep. And then probably got the rest of the week off. It's fantastic. What a what a job. And and you know it's funny as I talked to one of the guys at the show, and I was saying you know you really need to check out podcasting and podcast and, and they sort of turned their cocked their head a little bit and said podcast. Uh, they're really not technology guys, but they have this uh, this e newsletter that's been going for years and years and years and has been very very successful for them and they have a great mm-hmm. website. Um, but yeah, congratulations! You've been getting a lot of press there, and I think that hopefully that's that's brought your traffic up as well. Yeah, I mean, I tell them it's no secret. I get if I do a YouTube video, say I did a, a Tour de France one featuring um, stuff that hadn't been seen before from this um, uh, IMAX movie. So that got onto Road Bike Rider, and it just instantly uh, had this massive spike. I got like. Uh, two, three thousand immediate downloads on iTunes of the high res version, and then three thousand YouTube views have probably come from from uh, Road Bike Rider. So fifty six thousand every Thursday is um, is pretty powerful. Yeah, it's fantastic. Congratulations. Well, uh, once again to contact me, this is David from the Fredcast, and you can listen to my show at www.thefredcast.com. If you'd like to send me an email, please do so. The email address is thefredcast at gmail.com. Carlton, thank you again for joining us on the show. Thanks also to Joe Beer for coming on. And for the rest of you, thanks for staying subscribed. Thanks for listening. Most of all, 
get out there and ride.